Hello and welcome, friends, family, and of course, enemies alike, to episode 24, season 2 of Reading Cadence. I'm your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. Now, for this month, we are going through what I would term incredibly boring speeches. We went through some political speeches, a toast, and now we're going through lectures. Um, specifically, a lecture given in 1816 by a German philosopher named George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. And this man is widely regarded in philosophical circles as a formative thinker. But history, philosophy are already deemed incredibly boring subjects by the general public. So I thought it would be best to start here. So we are going to be reading his lecture entitled Common Ideas Regarding the History of Philosophy. Let's begin. At this point appear these ordinary superficial ideas regarding the history of philosophy, which have to be referred to and corrected. As regards these very current views, which are doubtless known to you, gentlemen, for indeed they are the reflections most likely to occur in one's first crude thoughts on a history of philosophy, I will shortly explain what requires explanation, and the explanation of the differences in philosophies will lead us further into the matter itself. The history of philosophy as an accumulation of opinions. History, at the first glance, includes in its aim the narration of the accidental circumstances of times, of races, and of individuals, treated impartially, partly as regards their relation in time, and partly as to their content. The appearance of contingency in time succession is to be dealt with later on, it is contingency of content, which is the idea with which we have first to deal. The idea of contingent actions. But thoughts and not external actions, or griefs or joys, form the content of philosophy. Contingent thoughts, however, are nothing but opinions, and philosophical opinions are opinions relating to the more special content of philosophy, regarding God, nature, and spirit. Thus, we now meet the view very usually taken of the history of philosophy, which ascribes to it the narration of a number of philosophical opinions as they have arisen and manifested themselves in time. This kind of matter is in courtesy called opinions. Those who think themselves more capable of judging rightly call such a history a display of senseless follies or at least of errors made by men engrossed in thought and in mere ideas. This view is not only held by those who recognize their ignorance of philosophy. Those who do this acknowledge it because that ignorance is, in common estimation, held to be no obstacle to giving judgment upon what has to do with the subject. For it is thought that anybody can form a judgment on its character and value without any comprehension of it whatever. But the same view is even held by those who write or have written on the history of philosophy. This history, considered only as the enumeration of various opinions, thus becomes an idle tale, or if you will, an erudite investigation. For erudition is, in the main, acquaintance with a number of useless things, 
that is to say, with that which has no intrinsic interest or value further than being known. Yet, it is thought that profit is to be derived from learning the various opinions and reflections of other men. It stimulates the powers of thought and also leads to many excellent reflections. This signifies that now and then it occasions an idea, and its art thus consists in the spinning out of one opinion out of the other. If the history of philosophy merely represented various opinions in array, whether they be of God or of natural and spiritual things existent, it would be a most superfluous and tiresome science, no matter what advantage might be brought forward as derived from such thought activity and learning. What can be more useless than to learn a string of bald opinions, and what more unimportant? Literary works, being histories of philosophy in the sense that they produce and treat the ideas of philosophy as if they were opinions, need be only superficially glanced at to find out how dry and destitute of interest everything about them is. An opinion is a subjective conception, an uncontrolled thought, an idea which may occur to me in one direction or in another. An opinion is mine. It is in itself a universal thought which is existent in and for itself. But philosophy possesses no opinions, for there is no such thing as philosophical opinions. When we hear a man speaking of philosophical opinions, even though he be an historian of philosophy itself, we detect it at once, this want of fundamental education. Philosophy is the objective science of truth. It is a science of necessity, conceiving knowledge, and neither opinion nor the spinning out of opinions. The more precise significance of this idea is that we get to know opinions only, thus laying emphasis upon the word opinion. Now, the direct opposite of opinion is the truth. It is truth before which mere opinion pales. Those who in the history of philosophy seek mere theories, or who suppose that on the whole only such are to be found within it, also turn aside when that word truth confronts them. Philosophy here encounters opposition from two different sides. On the one hand, piety openly declares reason or thought to be incapable of apprehending what is true, and to lead only to the abyss of doubt. It declares that independent thought must be renounced and reason held in bounds by faith in blind authority if truth is to be reached. Of the relation existing between religion and philosophy and of its history, we shall deal later on. On the other hand, it is known just as well that so-called reason has maintained its rights abandoning faith in mere authority, and has endeavored to make Christianity rational, so that throughout it is only my personal insight and conviction which obliges me to make any admissions. But this affirmation of the right of reason is turned around in an astonishing manner, 
so that it results in making knowledge of the truth through reason an impossibility. This so-called reason, on the one hand, has combated religious faith in the name and power of thinking reason, and at the same time, it has itself turned against reason and it is true reason's adversary. Instinct and feeling are maintained by it against the true reason, thus making the measure of true value the merely subjective. That is a particular conviction, such as each can form in and for himself in his subjective capacity. A personal conviction such as this is no more than the particular opinion that has been final for men. If we begin with what meets us in our very first conceptions, we cannot neglect to make mention of this aspect in the history of philosophy. In its results, it permeates culture generally, being at once the misconception and true sign of our times. It is the principle through which men mutually understand and know each other, a hypothesis whose value is established and which is the ground of all the other sciences. In theology, it is not so much the creed of the church that passes for Christianity, as that everyone, to a greater or less degree, makes a Christianity of his own to tally with his conviction. And in history, we often see theology driven into acquiring the knowledge of various opinions in order that an interest may thus be furnished to the science. And one of the first results of the attention paid them is the honor awarded to all convictions and the esteem vouchsafed to what has been constituted merely by the individual. The endeavor to know the truth is then, of course, relinquished. It is true that personal conviction is the ultimate and absolute essential which reason and its philosophy, from a subjective point of view, demand in knowledge. But there is a distinction between conviction when it rests on subjective grounds such as feelings, speculations, and perceptions, or, speaking generally, on the particular nature of the subject, and when it rests on thought proceeding from acquaintance with the notion and the nature of the thing. In the former case, conviction is opinion. This opposition between mere opinion and truth, now sharply defined, we already recognize in the culture of the period of Socrates and Plato, a period of corruption in Greek life as the platonic opposition between opinion and science. It is the same opposition that which existed in the decadence of Roman public and political life under Augustus and subsequently when Epicureanism and indifference set themselves up against philosophy. Under this influence, when Christ said, I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth, Pilate answered, What is truth? That was said in a superior way and signifies that this idea of truth is an expedient which is obsolete. We have got further. We know that there is no longer any question about knowing the truth 
seeing that we have gone beyond it, who makes this statement has gone beyond it indeed. If this is made our starting point in the history of philosophy, its whole significance will consist in finding out the particular ideas of others, each one of which is different from the other. These individual points of view are thus foreign to me. My thinking reason is not free, nor is it present in them. For me, they are but extraneous, dead, historic matter, or so much empty content, and to satisfy oneself with empty vanity is mere subjective vanity itself. To the impartial man, the truth has always been a heart-stirring word, and one of great import. As to the assertion that truth cannot be known, we shall consider it more closely in the history of philosophy itself where it appears. The only thing to be here remarked is that if this assumption be allowed, as was the case with Tenemin, it is beyond conception why anyone should still trouble about philosophy, since each opinion asserts falsely in its turn that it has found the truth. This immediately recalls to me the old belief that truth consists in knowledge, but that an individual only knows the truth insofar as he reflects and not as he walks and stands, and that the truth cannot be known in immediate apprehension and perception, whether it be external and sensuous, or whether it be intellectual perception, for every perception as a perception is sensuous, but only through the labor of thought. Proof of the futility of philosophical knowledge obtained through the history of philosophy itself. From another point of view, another consequence ensues from the above conception of the history of philosophy, which may at will be looked at as an evil or a benefit. In view of such manifold opinions and philosophical systems so numerous, one is perplexed to know which one ought to be accepted. In regard to the great matters to which man is attracted and knowledge of which philosophy would bestow, it is evident that the greatest minds have erred because they've been contradicted by others. Since this has been so with minds so great, how then can ego humuncio attempt to form a judgment? This consequence, which ensues from the diversity in philosophical systems, is, as may be supposed, the evil in the matter. Well, at the same time, it is a subjective good, for this diversity is the usual plea urged by those who, with an air of knowledge, wish to make a show of interest in philosophy, to explain the fact that they, with this pretense of goodwill, and indeed, with added motive for working at the science, do in fact utterly neglect it. <laughs> but this diversity in philosophical systems is far from being merely an evasive plea. It is far more weight as a genuine serious ground of argument against the zeal which philosophy requires. It justifies its neglect and demonstrates conclusively the powerlessness of the endeavor to attain philosophic knowledge of the truth. When it is admitted that philosophy ought to be a real science and one philosophy must certainly be the true, the question arises as to which philosophy it is, and when it can be known. 
Each one asserts its genuineness, each even giving different signs and tokens by which the truth can be discovered. Sober reflective thought must therefore hesitate to give its judgment. This, then, is the wider interest which the history of philosophy is said to afford. Cicero gives us from this point of view a most slovenly history of philosophic thought on God. He puts it in the mouth of an Epicurean, but he himself knew of nothing more favorable to say, and it is thus his own view. The Epicurean says that no certain knowledge has been arrived at. The proof that the efforts of philosophy are futile is derived directly from the usual superficial view taken of its history. The results attendant on that history make it appear to be a process in which the most various thoughts arise in numerous philosophies, each of which opposes, contradicts, and refutes the other. This fact, which cannot be denied, seems to contain the justification, indeed, the necessity for applying to philosophy the words of Christ, let the dead bury their own dead, arise and follow me. The whole of history of philosophy becomes a battlefield covered with the bones of the dead. It is a kingdom not merely formed of dead and lifeless individuals, but of refuted and spiritually dead systems, since each has killed and buried the other. Instead of, follow thou me, here then it must indeed be said, follow thine own self, that is, hold by thine own convictions, remain steadfast to thine own opinions, why adopt another? It certainly happens that a new philosophy makes its appearance, which maintains the others to be valueless. And indeed, each one in turn comes forth at first with the pretext that by its means all previous philosophies not only are refuted, but what in them is wanting is supplied, and now at length the right one is discovered. But following upon what has gone before, it would rather seem that other words of scripture are just as applicable to such a philosophy. The words which the apostle Peter spoke to Ananias, Behold, the feet of them that shall carry thee out are at the door. Behold, the philosophy by which thine own will be refuted and displaced shall not tarry long as it has not tarried before. Explanatory Remarks on the Diversity in Philosophies Certainly the fact is sufficiently well established that there are and have been different philosophies. The truth is, however, one, and the instinct of reason maintains this eradicable intuition or belief. It is said that only one philosophy can be true, and... Because philosophies are different, it is concluded that others must be erroneous. But, in fact, each one in turn gives every assurance, evidence, and proof of being the one and true philosophy. This is a common mode of reasoning, and is what seems in truth to be the view of sober thought. 
as regards the sober nature of the word at issue, thought, we can tell from everyday experience that if we fast, we feel hunger, either at once or very soon. But sober thought always has the fortunate power of not resulting in hunger and desire, but of being and remaining as it is content. Hence, the thought expressed in such an utterance reveals the fact that it is dead understanding. For it is only death which fasts and yet rests satisfied. But neither physical life nor intellectual remains content with mere abstention. As desire, it presses on through hunger and through thirst towards truth, towards knowledge itself. It presses on to satisfy this desire and does not allow itself to feast and find sufficiency in a reflection such as this. As to this reflection, the next thing to be said of it is that however different the philosophies have been, they had a common bond in that they were philosophy. Thus, whoever may have studied or become acquainted with a philosophy, whatever kind, provided only that it is such, has thereby become acquainted with philosophy. <laughs> that delusive mode of reasoning which regards diversity alone, and from doubt of or aversion to the particular form in which a universal finds its actuality, will not grasp or even allow this universal nature I have elsewhere likened to an invalid recommended by the doctor to eat fruit and who has cherries, plums, or grapes before him, but who pedantically refuses to take anything because no part of what is offered him is fruit, some of it being cherries and the rest plums or grapes. But it is really important to have a deeper insight into the bearings of this diversity in the systems of philosophy. Truth and philosophy known philosophically makes such diversity appear in another light from that of abstract opposition between truth and error. The explanation of how this comes about will reveal to us the significance of the whole history of philosophy. We must make the fact conceivable that the diversity and number of philosophies not only does not prejudice philosophy itself, that is to say the possibility of a philosophy, but that such diversity is and has been absolutely necessary to the existence of a science of philosophy and that it is essential to it. This makes it easy to us to comprehend the aim of philosophy, which is in thought and in conception, to grasp the truth and not merely to discover that nothing can be known or that at least temporal finite truth which also is an untruth can alone be known and not the truth indeed. Further, we find that in the history of philosophy, we have to deal with philosophy itself. The facts within that history are not adventures and contain no more romance than does the history of the world. They are not a mere collection of chance events, of expeditions, of wandering knights, each going about fighting, struggling purposelessly, leaving no results to show for all his efforts. Nor is it so that one thing has been thought out here, another there, at will. 
In the activity of thinking mind, there is a real connection, and what there takes place is rational. It is with this belief in the spirit of the world that we must proceed to history, and in particular, to the history of philosophy. End of Common Ideas Regarding the History of Philosophy. All right. So, philosophy. So interesting, am I right? So, be honest with me. Did you track, I don't know, any of that? Um, so, so I really enjoyed this. You know, like, I, I love philosophy to a really weird level. I, it's not like I study it, you know, a hack down, but, you know, like, I just like the idea of it, I think. And ironically, this is what my pal George is trying to address is we need to stop living in theories and actually, like, live out our philosophies instead of just, you you know, living in thought experiments about our philosophies. And so that's the primary one of the main things that he's addressing here. Uh, and I think overall, um, based off this lecture, if I can just sum it, uh, this is why it's important to not get lazy and try to take shortcuts in our thinking through the that's the way it's always been mentalities that we have um, in regards to philosophy. Because sooner or later, someone is going to test the way it's always been done. And it's not going to be tr proved true for them because you didn't stop to explain or think through how that philosophy applies to the next generation or time period or whatever. And that's exactly what we're seeing in American culture, right? Postmodernism is the antithesis of philosophy um, because there is no such thing as truth. We, we've got to reject, you know, and be skeptical of traditional values and belief systems um, because they've led to some very destructive um, systemic ideologies in our country and culture today, which I agree with on that level. But I don't agree with, okay, so what is the correction after we've, you know, established these laws and, you know, and made, made the reforms that we need to in our cities for the systemic inequalities that exist today? What is the truth then that we pursue afterwards so we don't fall into this trap again? How do we continue to value human life um, in, in all, like, all ethnicities um, and all people groups, etc.? How do we then value life in that regard? Um, we need to define it, and we're not <laughs> defining it. Hopefully people are publishing articles and, you know, doing their due diligence but that's that's an issue that i have with that so we need to do that because we shouldn't get comfortable when somebody presents new schools of thoughts and treaties towards life that are in con contradiction to the established norm you should hunger to know more about that new thought so that you continue to um, refine the truth of your philosophy um, just because you don't understand something or can't reconcile it to your context doesn't make it less true. It just means actual work needs to be done to sourcing out its application for your situation. I, the, in a very generic sense, the philosophy of Christianity that I subscribe to is, is applicable in all situations and all cultures and time periods. I think on a general sense, there have been some hesitancy um in b 
being able to apply it accurately to our culture and generation today. But I appreciate people who are putting in the effort to clarify language in statements of faith, in um, doctrines to help address the um, the developments that take place in our culture, um, so that we can have a better, uh, you know, response to what's happening around us, and be less reactive. I love just getting into why people believe what they believe because it's fascinating to me. Okay, I, in college, I knew a compulsive liar, and I would just, you know. <laughs> I would just press him on his lies that he was telling me, you know, like he was like, well, you know, like I live in a, you know, remote tribe that's isolationist, so nobody can visit us. And I was like, I really want to visit you. He's like, well, you gotta, you know, do a blood oath. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I value you as an individual and I want to learn more about your culture. And he's like, whoa, that's so awesome. You know, and I was like, yeah. And then conveniently they like dispersed because the country that the tribes located in, you know, had some social unrest and, you know, destroyed the tribe. And so they're all dispersed throughout the country now, which, okay, whatever. Um, and, you know, you know, he's like, I was like, man, I really, how do you keep up to date if they're isolationists? And he's like, well, the tribal leader, you know, zoom calls me you know every once in a while and i was like oh dude that's awesome can i sit on one of your video calls and he's like well you don't know the language or anything i'm like hey no problem like i'm just curious to see how you guys interact with one another and stuff and he's like well okay um but he's like uh i gotta talk to her first and i was like okay and then he's like well she said that you know you can write a letter and she'll respond back to that but she you know not a video call and I was like, okay. So I took out a notebook and I started, I wrote a letter in English. And I was like, I hope you can translate this for me. And, you know, we can, we can go on our merry way. And uh, I did get a letter back, uh, but it was clear that it was written by him. Um, but no, like I love like pressing people's belief systems and ideologies, even when it's clearly false. Like I love like engaging people because I got to know this man better. And I got to know like the truth that he wove into all of these lies um, and it helped me value him um, and care for him in, in, in a more genuine and authentic way than if I just, you know, dismissed him and been like, man, you're just full of it, you know, type of thing. So uh, definitely challenge people's philosophies. I would strongly recommend that. Um, constantly press them to get to the truth. Um, help them to see value in pursuing absolute truth. And uh, yeah, just just wrap your, put in the work to, to, to learn about these different philosophies because like, it definitely does shape the way people view the world, whether they choose to admit it or not. And um, it's really cool to, um, you just get to know people a whole lot better based off of their philosophical viewpoints on life. So with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite Phil Olson, and as they say in showbiz, that's all he wrote for now.